Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's such a joy to have you in our service. And wasn't that a great time of praise and worship so far? Amen? Amen. We're so thankful that we can worship our triune God. Amen? You know, it's a beautiful thing when we focus just on Him. That's worship, by the way. Praise is when we sing to Him about ourselves, thanking Him for what He's done for us and so on. But worship is when we direct all of our thoughts toward Him and Him alone, who He is, especially His character. And, uh, you know, it's amazing to me and, uh, how... We really get into singing praises when we talk about God has been so good to us. But when we get into the part where we focus on Him, everybody seems to... It don't seem to be that kind of an active involvement. And it should be. Amen? And we need to remember that. We thank the Lord for that special time today. Now, I had originally planned on continuing with my prophecy series this morning and speaking on the man that you're all waiting for. The Antichrist. Only kidding. I hope you're not waiting for him, are you? No, no. But you'd be surprised to know how many Christians are looking forward to the Antichrist. But anyway, um, after listening to the presidential dialogue with Dr. with Pastor Rick Warren, you remember a couple of weeks ago? The candidates were there. Uh, and some emails I've been getting for some months now from different students who are away concerning what they're getting in the classrooms and listening to the dialogue, I decided that I would speak to the students or concerning the need for students to know what the Christian worldview is, why we believe what we believe, especially concerning current social events, you see. Because my... Conviction is that if the believer really knows who we are in Christ, our identification in Christ, and what it means to be made in the image of God, and now being remade in the image of Jesus Christ by the Spirit day by day, we will have no concerns about these moral issues. By that I mean any concerns regarding the challenge to the Christian faith. Because... One of the things I think you realize, if you really understand who you are as created in the image of God, abortion, euthanasia, capital punishment, cells, all of these things go away. By that I mean you have no problems with addressing them. They're there, but you will have no problems being challenged by teachers, professors in your classroom, in the student's classroom, who will bring these things up. And by the way, our students will. Our students are going to be faced with some things they never dreamt they'd be faced with, and their Christian, their faith, will be challenged. And so I wanted to talk about that, and that's I had already. So I switched from the Antichrist, and I was going to be talking about uh, the human difference and how it makes a real difference in the, for the student uh, in preparing to meet these uh, onslaughts from unsaved or... Uh, uh, professors who, who attack the Christian faith. But then again, as I was um, listening to the news and looking at the hurricanes that are coming this way, at least, you know, we have three on the scale right now. At least one is a hurricane. Mr. Hanna is coming. And then uh, there's something forming. There's no name yet, but there's another one forming as well. 
And why it hit me, because I, I was watching the TV, and they had all three of them on the screen at one time, growing up. And it suddenly hit me, hey, hurricanes are coming. And then it hit me again. Jesus Christ spoke about hurricanes. And I figured if he spoke about preparing for hurricanes, maybe I should speak about it as well. And so for the third time, I changed my message. And so the one you have described in your bulletin, Lord willing, if Mr. Hannah doesn't give us any trouble, next Lord's Day is what I will be dealing with that. But today I want to speak about hurricanes and the need for us to heed the words of Jesus Christ because it's very, very relevant, not only from a practical perspective, because I'm praying and hoping that our hearts and our minds will be open, that if any hurricanes came this way, the Lord's people will be ready to help one another, those who need help. I want you to be thinking about that right now, even before I get into the message. You know, we have single mothers, we have widows, we have older folk living in homes by themselves some places. The people of God need to be caring for these people, so I want you to be thinking about that, that God will lay upon your heart right now someone who you know is in opposition. In fact, we had a request already from a single person who needs help, and I believe our men are going to respond to that. Please keep that in mind, though. Don't only be concerned about preparing for yourself, but also to help those who perhaps cannot help themselves. So we're going to be talking about hurricanes. Uh, let me give you the, the anatomy of a hurricane. I got this from uh, one of the resources, the sources that I looked at. It says that a hurricane is created at sea. The water temperature must be at least 80.6 degrees Fahrenheit or 27 degrees Celsius. Scientists have determined that a hurricane lifts some 60 million or more tons of water and generates more power every 10 seconds than all the electric power used in the United States in one full year. And that's what's headed for New Orleans in that area. That's why hurricanes do not visit the northern latitudes. It's too cold up there. They're like snowbirds. They like the warm water. The warm sea creates a funnel of air which rises to perhaps 50,000 feet, producing vast cumulus clouds. High air currents are distributed and more air from below is drawn into the funnel and then the winds carried along. The Earth's rotation gives this force, this hurricane, a twist. Well, actually, it isn't a hurricane yet. It's just all of this mass. But it gives it, the rotation of the Earth gives it a twist, and that's how a hurricane is conceived. It becomes a mass of powerful winds, some spreading out as far as 400 miles in diameter and swirling around at more than 200 miles per hour. The more these undesirable visitors like our waters, the more power they generate. And the more they like the water, the longer they stay over the water. It's dangerous for a hurricane to stand still, especially over 
warm water. So if it's one visitor, we do not want to stay overnight or any length of time. It's a hurricane. We don't want them in our islands. But scientists have determined that a hurricane lifts some 60 million. I mentioned that before, but I want to mention it again for a reason. Some 60 million or more tons of water and generates more power every 10 seconds than all the electric power used in the United States in one full year. Do you all remember Andrew? Hurricane Andrew? That was one of the most severe hurricanes for many, many years. You remember when it came our way? Remember Lutheran? That's why, um, Richard, we've got to pray we don't have one of those come that way again. Especially, do you remember Katki and Spanish Wells? It almost wiped those islands. I mean, it shaved them bald. All the vegetation was gone. And they believe what happened, the water was pushed ahead of the real storm. And that's what came over Spanish Wells and especially Katki. This powerful force coming onto the islands. But you know something? Even in spite of the vast amount of physical damage done to property, our good fortune is evident. I'm talking about Bahamas now. is evident when it is realized that the hurricane that struck Bangladesh in 1970 produced a tidal wave which killed at least 500,000 people at one sweep. You remember in 1900, in Galveston, Texas, a hurricane created storm tides that swept some 6,000 people to their deaths. And right here in our own Bahama Islands, only a few of you could, I can't, remember that in 1920, many Bahamians were killed, especially in the outer islands, by the fury of a killer hurricane. That was one of the worst hurricanes, I understand, to hit the Bahamas in 1920. But then, of course, we don't have to go that far back. We could remember just three years ago, Katrina. Hundreds of lives were killed in that area. But one of the amazing things that occurs each time a hurricane hits is that some who suffer loss do so simply because they are unprepared. It's amazing. The majority of people are hurt, killed, not all, but the majority are hurt or killed because they did not prepare adequately, even though they knew the hurricane was coming. So I would be, they were unprepared not because they did not know or did not understand that the hurricane was coming, but they simply refused to do anything about it. They refuse to do anything about it. Now, of course, years ago, like in the 1920s here, lack of knowledge as to the time of the hurricane's arrival may have been legitimate. We just didn't know until it was upon us. But not today. We now have the capabilities of watching these things being born. That's what we're watching now, this third thing coming from Africa. It started up just a little bit. They noticed it. And now we could see it being conceived. We could see it getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That was impossible years ago. 
We can track the every move from the time they are conceived in the warm waters of our ocean to the moment of the arrival at our shores. They can be tracked. Hurricane Hunter's airplane fly into the very eye of the storm to acquire information filled with all kinds of modern day technology. Their radars located around the world. They can be tracked immediately. But yet people get caught unprepared. This morning I was not watching the news again because I wanted to see especially with Sandy what was going on. Mayor Nagin came on and in response to a question, Mayor, what is the biggest problem you face in New Orleans right now? Do you know what his answer was? Complacency. People just don't seem to prepare or think this thing is serious. Complacency. But now listen to this. We know that hurricanes are conceived between June the 1st and November the 31st, generally speaking. That's the time of, what's the word for giving birth? Huh? Huh? Hurricane season, right. I was trying to get the name for when. All right, we'll leave it that one. That's another word. But anyway, we know that they are conceived between June the 1st and November the 31st. We know that they will come our way. We know that. But yet, many Bahamians are still caught unprepared. They're the ones who are banging on JBR and other places on the day of the hurricane. Open up! <laughs> That's right. They're the ones. Now, we may not know exactly the second they come, but we can tell almost the hour of not the minute. In fact, we can do this days in advance. But yet, People are still caught unprepared. And you say, I don't think that's true at all. That word is not unprepared. They're caught in their complacency. Jesus says that this same principle holds with preparing our lives for the spiritual hurricanes of our life. Same principle. It holds for the spiritual hurricanes of our life as well as the hurricane of his final judgment. The same principles apply. Many people know they will come but are not preparing. But one good thing with Jesus the forecaster he tells us exactly how to hurricane-proof our life. Both for now and for the future. But we must take his words seriously. And we must act upon them before the hurricane strikes. 
before the hurricane strikes. That's why I believe that this is a spirit. Here in what we're going through right now, I believe there lies a vital spiritual lesson and application for us today. Because Jesus says that the same principle holds with preparing our lives for the spiritual hurricanes of our life. But I want you to see now how he does this. If it's one good thing about Louisiana now is that it appears that they had learned their lesson. As we speak, they are now evacuating that city. No one can come into it. All of the roads have been turned into roads only going one way, out of New Orleans. Buses, trains, everything is filled with people. The hurricane is not expected to hit until early tomorrow morning. They learned a lesson. But you know, I listened to an interview this morning. One fellow said, and he was asked, are you living? No, I'm leaving. I went through this before. And there was I, I will make sure my house okay. My house. Now, he don't mean this. He mean that piece of material thing that he bought or built himself. And he's willing to risk this, his real house, to save that. But on the whole, a lesson has been learned. Unfortunately, to the, when we come to the spiritual, that is also true. Something has to happen drastically that causes you to think about preparing for the judgment that is to come. It's been forecasted for years. It's been foretold in the scriptures. And yet, you're not prepared. Many times the reason why we face severe problems in our lives is because God is trying to get our attention. Prepare to meet your God. He blesses us, he gives us a job, he gives us food, he gives us a home, he gives us a family, he gives us all of these good things. In order for us to turn to him. But we don't. And so God says, okay, I've got to get your attention. Because I don't want you to die unprepared. And so he has to send something severe in your life. The same principle is holding true today in that area. They had to go through Katrina before they really started to prepare in any real significant way. You've got to realize something, my friends. Because God has withhold judgment from us for a long time, in spite of our sin, does not mean that judgment will never come. That's what is called in the Bible his long-suffering, his patience. We must not presume 
Because of his past grace, his past mercies, his past long-suffering, that he will never hold us accountable for our sins. We cannot presume that. That's ignorant thinking. You can be sure that we have to give an account to God more than we can be sure that Hannah will pay us a visit this coming week. Although it's on the screen, although it's there, anything can happen to another way. But nothing is going to disturb God's plan to make us accountable for our sin. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. This is an advisory now. You need to pay attention to this alert. He says, verse 24, Matthew 7, Therefore anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, notice that, not just hearing it, putting them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yes, it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the rock. That's Jesus, the forecaster of hurricanes and storms, talking. Verse 26, but, here's the contrast now, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice. Don't leave that second part out. You see, in the context, the hearing isn't really the vital thing. It's the doing. How many of us have heard the word of God again and again and again and again about things in our life? But we've not done what the word says. That's a foolish way of life, Jesus is saying. Foolish. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on a sand. So that means now that all of us who know the word not practicing it, God says, Jesus says, we are what? Who said that? So don't go there mad at me. Don't go sign, come back to Calvary Bible Church. No more because Pastor Lee called me a fool. Jesus says, if you know the word and you don't obey the word, you're acting foolishly. You're just as foolish as the person who hears that Gustav, that's his name, Gustav, is coming at you in all of its fury. Right now, I think it's down to, what, 135 or something, but they expect for it to come up to as much as 175. It's coming down upon you, barreling, barreling, barreling towards you. Oh, yeah, I know it, that. I know it coming. And you're just standing there, not doing one thing about it. That's you. If you know the Word of God, and you're not practicing it, Verse 27, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. 
Verse 28. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. You see, to put it in our context today, but forecasts and so on, the scribes of people, well, you know, this may happen. You know, this may not happen. No authority. No sense of assurance or conviction. But Jesus comes across, this will happen. This will not happen. And I know so. Why? Because I, I am speaking. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. He speaks with authority. Jesus' word speaks with authority. We can be sure it will happen just as he says it will. And he says, if we do not build our life upon the rock, it's going to be washed away. And great will be that fall. He's speaking that with authority. You know, guess, maybe, hope. So, No, this is sure. Look at the text, verse 24, the beginning. Notice the word, therefore. Jesus is concluding something basis, on the basis of what he had said previous to verse 24. These words are the conclusion of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I like to call it the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus is concluding that, bringing it to a close. In this sermon, Jesus outlines both the conditions for entering his kingdom and eternal life, as well as the resultant, the resulting characteristics of those who enter the kingdom. That's what the Beatitudes are all about. He tells us how to get in the kingdom and how we should live when we are in the kingdom. In a nutshell, he says that the words and works alone are not sufficient evidence that a person is truly a child of God. Obedience. Obedience to his word is the primary mark of a true child of God. Not doing things only because we could do things just for us. Just to please us. But Jesus is saying, I don't care about what you do. If it's not in direct obedience to my word, you're building on sand. You know what I'm looking forward to? A great fall. Now, I wonder if I should say this. Lord, I hope this is not bad. All right. You know, in Dubai, they built the tallest hotel in the world. And you know what they built it on? Sand. When I first looked at that and I saw all of that, and I was going through all of these wonderful buildings, I mean, they're doing something up there crazy. I said, I wonder if that's a challenge to God. Remember the Tower of Babel? You know? So one day, Lord, I hope this is wrong. I'm really looking for that place to fall. That's true. I really am. Am I hoping for it? No. But Jesus tells us anything that's built on a sound foundation cannot stand. So I'm looking for, no, I shouldn't say I'm looking for it. I wonder if that is going to happen. You have to be sure that you don't think that all of your good works and sincere things that you're putting down is a solid foundation. 
Just because you come out of the church, just because you give, just because you get baptized, just because you come to prayer, just because you do all of these things. And you're only doing it for yourself. You're only doing it because you're trying to show how spiritual you are. Rather than in direct obedience to the word of God and you're doing it for his glory. That's sand. You could call it a foundation. But it's a foundation of sand. First of all, Jesus says here, that it's not outward appearance, but inward motivation that truly identifies the child of God. Some say they are on the narrow road, but they walk on the broad road. They say they are on the narrow road, but they walk on the broad road with the crowd. Some talk to talk, but they don't walk to walk. Jesus is saying that such people are not genuine citizens of his kingdom. Some walk to walk, but the inner motivation is wrong. They do it for themselves and not for Jesus Christ and the glory of the triune God. These two, Jesus says, are not genuine believers. In our text now, Jesus applies these truths that he's been talking about throughout the chapters with this concrete illustration. His purpose is to show that in the final analysis, the only thing that matters is the foundation upon which one builds his house of life. The foundation. And he says that one's choice determines whether or not he is wise or whether he's foolish. Secondly, Jesus says that one's choice is evidenced by one's response to his teaching. It results in the kind of foundation upon which their life is built. So what Jesus is actually saying here, first of all, is that both the one who builds on the sand foundation and the one who builds on the rock foundation have heard Jesus' words. Both have heard them. Both have heard that advisory he gives. Build on the solid rock. Both have heard it. They've heard the teaching of Jesus. The one who's building on a rock, and the one who's building on the... Both of them have heard the word of God. We would say perhaps something like this. They attend the same church. They go to the same Bible studies. They attend the same prayer meetings. They come to the same worship service. They dress alike. They look alike. They smell alike. You look at them, you think... They're all Christians. But second, they both understand Jesus' words. They know what is required. There's no doubt here. They know. They understand. They hear it. They understand. They know it. They understand the options. They understand the consequences. They know what they are supposed to do. They're not left in the dark. The storm is coming. If you're not built on rocket on a solid rock, you're going to... Your house is going to go. They know it. They know everything. Both the one who builds on the rock and the one who builds on the side. And third, from the outside, both houses look alike. When things are going okay. When there's no hurricane, there's no storms. You look at the house, beautiful. 
painted just alike. Dark purple with pink trimming. Right, Nancy? You see him there? Look just alike. Can't tell the difference. When the sun is shining, when things are great, these houses look the same. No one can tell a difference between the two of them. Both have heard the advisories and both have built their house of life, hoping that it will stand for both time and eternity. But Jesus makes it clear. It is the storm or hurricane that reveals who has not only heard and understood, but who obeys. Now this is a deep truth here. Our Christianity doesn't really show that much when everything is going good. And everything is a blessing. And everything is wonderful. When do our Christianity show? When we're in a hospital bed, suffering from cancer we did not expect. When hurricane did come and wiped away everything overnight. When our loved one has been taken from us. When our marriage seems to be going apart. When our children seem to be so rebellious and disobedient. Our response to those situations tell us whether or not we are really Christians. Whether our life is built on the solid rock. Or on sand. It's not the good things so much as the difficulties of life. That's why I always tell folk when it comes, and this is a difficult one, I realize that, when it comes to funerals. For truly born again Christians, I really believe that should be a time of praise and worship and rejoicing in the fact that my loved one has gone home to be with the Lord. We grieve, yes, but not as those who have no hope. What does that mean? It means that only weep and wail as though there's no future. By the way, it's a selfish thing anyway. Because we're saying, we don't want that person up there. We don't want him enjoying the presence of God or her. We want him back with us, going through all the heartache and pain and putting up with us again. Who wants that? You understand what I'm saying? Christianity really hits the road when things get tough. How do we respond to it? That makes the difference. Notice several things here in this passage. As illustrations, perhaps symbols. Rain pounding upon the roof from above could be an illustration or indicating of God's testing to make us stronger. God sends and allows horrific things to come into our life. Not to destroy us, but to make us more like him. Read the book of James. He tells us that. We don't like to talk about these things. No, 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 man. We go to suffering and say, Lord, praise the Lord. Rejoice with pure rejoicing. Thank you for all of this pain, all of this suffering. That seems so odd, isn't it? That's the way it should be for a Christian. Why? Jesus says you're not only called to believe, but you're also called to suffer. But how many times you quote that when you ask for a testimony? That I was called to suffer for Jesus Christ. No man, today the preaching is, you were called 
to be rich. You were called to be healthy. You were called to enjoy the good life. That's not biblical. We were called to suffer. Jesus says so. That's what he's bringing out here. Rain pounding upon the roof from above, coming from above, could be an indication of God's testing to make us stronger. That's why when we are facing difficulties, our prayer should be, not Lord, get me out of this, but Lord, give me the strength and the grace to go through it for your glory. You see, otherwise, if we pray to get out of it, we're praying for an abortion, and we will not become perfect. We will be aborted. Don't pray, Lord, take it away. Lord, give me the grace, the strength, the wisdom to undergo it for your glory. Some time ago, a hurricane destroyed Galveston, Texas, as we mentioned before, and a wall was built after that for the future. And I want to read you something I found concerning the man who built it. This was after that terrific hurricane that destroyed and killed so many people in Galveston, Texas. A wall was built, a restraining wall was built. Listen to this. George W. Boschke was the famous engineer who built a gigantic seawall to protect Galveston, Texas from the horrible floods which had brought disaster to the city. He built his seawall with a sure confidence of a thoroughgoing engineer and master workman. From Galveston, he went to Oregon to build railroads in an undeveloped section of the state. Boschke was in a camp 40 miles away from the nearest railroad when an exhausted messenger rode in and handed a telegram to his assistant. The message said that the Galveston Sea, the Galveston Sea Wall had been washed away by a second furious hurricane. The assistant was in consternation and dreaded to hand a telegram to his chief, Boschke, reading the telegram. But then Boschke took the telegram, he read it, he smiled, and he gave it back, and he said, this telegram is a black lie. Say, how do you know that? He says, because I built this wall to stand. Did you get that? Telegram coming saying, your wall has been washed away. The engineer looked at it and said, it's a lie. And he says it with conviction, because I built it to stand. He turned away and went about his work. It turned out that the message was based on a false report. True, there had been a hurricane as severe as that which had flooded the city before. But Boschke's seawall had never moved. It stood firm. I build that wall to stand, he said. And he went smiling, doing his work amid the rumors of disaster. Jesus gives us a wall, a rock, that is meant to stand. Nothing, nothing can move that wall. Nothing on earth, in heaven, and hell can destroy the, the home that is built on Jesus as the foundation. Nothing, nothing at all. But now things come to us in this life, difficulties. And I believe it's only those who are in Christ or on Christ 
will be able to stand against the hurricane force of divine judgment. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul, and he says in Acts 17, God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he has ordained, whereof he has given, him assur whereof he has given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. In other words, the day of judgment is as certain as the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you better believe in a judgment to come. It is appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. The focus isn't on the certainty of death. The focus in the passage is on the certainty of judgment. The judgment will come. And even for Christians, the Bible says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. And that was directed to Christians. We have to prepare. And to do that, we must build our life upon obedience to the Word of God. But let me close with this. We have a spiritual insurance that cannot be overturned or revoked. You know, one of the amazing things that happened in the area where a storm hurt, hurt, comes in and destroys a lot of things. All of a sudden, you can't get insurance no more. Or all of a sudden, the companies try to look at the fine print. This ain't for water. This is only for wind. <laughs> no, that's true. They're going to court for that right there in New Orleans. This ain't for water. This is for wind. And they find all kinds of ways to get out of the obligation. That happened when we had Oakland some time ago. All of the insurance companies all of a sudden want to raise the price. You remember that? See, that's why we've got to build our life on the rock, Jesus Christ. You cannot have a better insurance company than Jesus Christ. None. One of the big problems faced, I said, by residents of hurricane-prone locations is insurance companies sometimes canceling policies, raising policies, and some of the once most respected big names insurance companies are now leaving long-standing customers without coverage. Many face the home, the possibility of losing their homes or businesses because the insurance broker has either refused to sell them hurricane insurance or raised the cost so high that they could not afford it. Let me say something with authority because I get it from the word. Jesus will never do that. He said, you build your rock upon me, you build your house upon me, your home upon me, your life upon me, and I will never let you down. I don't care how difficult the problem, I don't mind what it is, I will never let you down. I will never revoke my insurance. I will never go up on a higher price. I will never take it away from you. Never, never, never. You build your rock upon me and you are safe and secure for time and for eternity. That's the word of Jesus Christ. He will never change his conditions for eternal coverage of your soul. And once you have given it to him, he will never take it away from you. His is one insurance that will and can never lapse. He stands by his protection. But the only claim 
that he will consider is from the one who has his life built on the solid rock of his word. No one else need apply. You say, that's kind of exclusive. Yeah. Folks, I want you to know, Christianity is exclusive. I want you to know that. Jesus himself said so. I, not me and Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's exclusivism. The road is not broad. The, word, the road is narrow, and there's only a few who goes that way. And so if you get into the big road, when you see all the crowd, all your friends going that way, you say, boy, that must be right. That's contrary to the word. He only recognizes the claims of those who have recognized that they were sinners, deserving death, separation from God, who acknowledge that Jesus Christ came as their sin bearer, taking the penalty for their sin upon himself. God raised him from the dead to validate that fact. And now they have placed their signature, their signature to a contract which says that I died for you, and if you would accept that as a fact, you build your home upon a solid rock. And nothing in hell, on earth or heaven, will ever be able to separate you from me. Because I have given you an insurance that gives you protection for both time and eternity. So really, as we look at all of these hurricanes and possible hurricanes that are coming our way, from a spiritual perspective, I can only ask you, do you have the eternal insurance that is issued only by Jesus Christ? And he says, I notice this, but if you build your life upon him, what does that mean? That means that you're not only hearing the word, but you are obeying the word. You must meet those conditions. Hearing is not sufficient. Hearing and doing. Meet those conditions and you can have an insurance that will face any kinds of hurricanes that come your way. And my prayer is that as we go through this season, we see all of these things we prepare for physically, materially, we will make certain that we are secure eternally. Bow with me, please, in a word of prayer. Just before we take our offering for today, Take a few moments of quiet reflection of God has spoken to you. Perhaps you've come in today and never placed faith in Jesus Christ. And you are still anticipating the judgment for those who have rejected God out of their life. Right now, God has spoken to you. You can just respond to Him in your own life, in your heart. 
You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to walk down here to say anything. It's between you and God. And in fact, right now, if you have received this word, if you raise your hand or walk down the aisle, you're simply saying that I have already placed my faith in Christ. I don't have to do these things to place faith in Christ. You've already done it, and I indicate it by raising or walking down. Remember that. This is a transaction between you and God, not you and the preacher or you and the church. Have you heard the word, and have you applied the word? Building your life upon Jesus Christ because you have placed your faith upon him as your savior. Please do that now. And for Christians, listen. Yes, we thank God that we are secure from the eternal judgment of God. Nothing can separate us from God. But there are temporary difficulties and judgments that we face for disobedience to the word of God. And God wants us know that that's not necessary if we really build our life upon him hearing his word and obeying whatever decision you must make right now whatever commitment you must make do that right now before we have our closing song and our offering and if you do so please let us know one of the pastors would be very happy to rejoice with you Lord, I pray with you. Father, thank you for your word. We pray that all of us who have heard Jesus Christ telling us that we must build our life upon him as the rock, his word and obedience to it, that we might obey and have this blessed assurance that nothing in this life or the life to come will be ever able to revoke the insurance we have in Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen.